And so when we think about what's next for the food and beverage industry, uh, we believe that artificial intelligence is going to change the way that products are developed. It's going to lead to better tasting and more successful products. And it's going to lead to a faster time to market for products that are targeted at consumers. Um, but there's no question in our minds that, that AI is changing, already impacting and changing the way that products are developed and leading to more successful innovations. This is C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CBG business from conception to consumption. Welcome to C2C, everybody. Today I'm here with Jason Cohen, who is founder and CEO of a really cool company, Gastrograph AI. We're going to hear all about it. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So give our listeners a little bit on your background, how you got into the food and beverage and CPG industries. Uh, this was all a, a series of happy accidents. All, not, not, there was no grand plan, but it, it all made sense at the time. So I actually started as a professional tea taster. Uh, I spent a whole bunch of time in mainland China, Taiwan, Korea, and Japan. Uh, got very, very deep into Chinese tea, lived on a tea plantation in India for a harvest season, uh, and, and bounced around there for a little while. And then I went to Penn State and started a, a tea research group that kind of spiraled out of control and became an interdisciplinary tea research institute called the Tea Institute at Penn State. And so um, that, that was exactly as popular as it sounds. Uh, re, you know, really competed with the football team for funding and turnout. But despite that, I had 30-something students, five fields of study. I did my research originally in sensory science and then moved to machine learning artificial intelligence. So I came from a, a very specialized background, and then I, I, I continued in that specialized background. I did all my original research on tea and tea perceptions and tea preferences, and then moved on to coffee and beer. And as we were able to actually build up models and predict what people were going to perceive in a product and what they taste and like and dislike, we realized it didn't belong in academia, and we spun it out of the university. And uh, I hired off the three top researchers from the Research Institute, and we started analytical flavor systems together. What a background. Tea taster, living on a tea plantation, and and then mixing that with AI. That is quite the background story. So tell us about... Now tell us, give us a thumbnail sketch on exactly what uh, Gastrograph does. So Gastrograph is an artificial intelligence platform that models human sensory perception of flavor, aroma, and texture to predict consumer preference of food and beverage products. It's an AI platform that's used to help companies develop new products, optimize existing brands, and enter new markets, all from the perspective of creating better tasting, more targeted products for consumers around the world. So we, we strongly believe that as uh, the world has become more diverse, as consumers have access to products that are better fit for their preferences, that traditional methods uh, that were useful for developing regional, national, or international products are no longer a fit for the need to develop brand portfolios and targeted flavor profiles for, for cons that consumers will love. Mm. So... It models consumer behavior or consumer preferences. Um, how the heck does it do that? So in the, in the last 12 years, we've collected the largest sensory data set of on-market products that's ever been assembled. Uh, we have standing panels in New York and Shanghai, and we have te a team that literally circles the world to a different country or different region uh, almost every other week. 
and they recruit a set of panelists in that country. They have them taste a set of reference products that are available globally. Uh, we call that a demographic survey. And then we have them taste 80 to 100 on-market CPG products that are relevant to that market. We call that a market survey. And so we use the demographic survey to parameterize the distributions in perception, the differences between different countries and different groups of, of demographics, how they perceive flavor. And then we use the market survey to reverse engineer the drivers of preferences in that market. And so we now have done that in uh, more than 35 countries, more than 45 regions around the world. And what that allows us to do is build up highly accurate, generalizable uh, baseline models for those countries. And so when we have a new product or a new development or a company wants to move a product from say the United States uh, into Europe and they say, well, what countries will this product do well in? And we could say, it'll do well in Germany and it won't do well in Spain and it'll do well in Italy and it won't do well uh, in, in Norway. And we can do that all in real time, collecting data anywhere, um, because we have that data set. Hmm. That sounds pretty cool. So traditional new product development solutions, um, you know, how is yours better or different? Uh, you know, why won't those work as well? So we, we see four, um, deficiencies in traditional methods. Uh, the first is that it's what we call snapshot data. When snapshot data means that it's based on um, frequency statistical hypothesis testing from experimental design. So if you want to know if products are different, you have to run a difference test. If you want to know if they're similar, you have to run a similarity test. If you want to know if they're preferred, you have to run a, uh, some type of hedonic test. If you want to know consumer descriptive analysis or consumer guidance, you have to run that or JARS. And so what that means is that that data is not comparable across tests or across time. So if, if you want to learn something new, you have to run a new test. Every answer requires a new test. And what that does is it means that you have to guess at the answer before you know what the right question is to ask, right? So if you have a, a product that's underperforming or if you have a new product that you want to test, knowing what test to run before you have any data means that you're, you're guessing at the answers. And so even when that works in the best case scenario, right, all of that is a, is a, is a cost center. It's not able to, to develop uh, large scale explanatory models. Um, but in the best case scenario, when it works is you're getting low fidelity consumer responses, which are very hard to turn into actionable insights that you can use to develop a better product or to make a better decision. And so in comparison to that, what we can do is, is everything that we do is predictive. We collect data in a unified format. We can reduce the total amount of data that we need to collect. We can reuse that data to make new predictions for new questions, and we can recycle that data uh, for different countries or different categories into the future. And so what, what that means is that we have an always-on, ever-learning, always-up-to-date platform uh, that can continuously use that data. So we think of that as, as the, the core benefit of using a predictive methodology, um, where everything that we're predicting for is tied back to specific decisions and actions that a company can do to make, to make better decisions. So, so let, me, let me ask you a, sort of a brass tacks question here, Jason, uh, a, a two-part question. Um, pretty famous McKinsey study done a number of years ago they followed new consumer brands that were launched out into the marketplace over a period of four or five years. 
75% of them were no longer on shelves after four or five years. So very high failure rate. Secondly, um, you know, we hear from a lot of companies that their cycle time to develop a new product is nine to 12 months, which seems, you know, pretty long, pretty arduous. So how can this technology help with either the failure rate or reducing innovation cycles? I, I believe that it could help with both. Um, you know, we see 85 uh, plus percent failure rates across both companies, big and small, and it, it, it doesn't really matter the category. Uh, and those failure rates are from a multitude of things. One is that uh, consumer preference is constantly evolving. Consumers acquire, try new things, acquire new preferences, move into exploratory preference states and start trying new products. You know, and once a product hits three years on the market, it's not safe. 15% of the products on the market are pulled every year. And so when we think about what the AI offers, right, it offers not just the snapshot of what's currently going on. It, it offers a verifiable, accurate predictions about the future. If you need to develop a product today that's going to be preferred, not just today, but six months, a year, two years plus into the future, then you have to have an understanding of how preferences are continuing to evolve and what consumers are moving into those exploratory states and where those exploratory states are stabilizing. The second thing is that traditional methods are slow. If you want to run a multi-country uh, CLT consumer pre-launch uh, series of tests, that, that's six weeks to six months, uh, depending on how many countries and depending if you can even run that test. We, you know, we picked up a ton of business during COVID because companies couldn't run uh, large-scale consumer surveys in the middle of a global pandemic. And their options were to shut down their innovation cycle uh, or to launch without consumer feedback or to use a predictive methodology like us to take existing data and to predict for new products without needing to go back to a consumer panel. So the ability to replicate and exceed what a consumer panel can do with near real-time predictions for multiple markets at the same time off of a single test uh, is greatly accelerating. We, we can offer feedback uh, in, in four to six days versus six weeks to six months and we can prove that those predictions are more accurate than, tr than traditional CLT methods. And so we do believe that that results in much more successful developments. And on a related topic, you've been in the CBG industry for a while, Jason. Do you, do you think there's more pressure on companies to innovate today or less than there was in the past? I think, I think the pressure is different, and I don't think companies have an equal level of understanding of, of how and why it's different. It, it used to be the companies could sink um, quite a bit of money in tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars into a single development. They could say, I'm going to develop one new crown jewel leading leading product, right? It's going to be our, our marquee product. And they could launch that product in multiple countries. They could launch that product maybe globally, right? Um, but, but that's no longer competitive. Today, in order to be competitive, you have to be targeted. And some companies are finally starting to think in terms of portfolios of products versus singular products. So launching five flavors in one brand where different flavors appeal to different segments of the population uh, is, is the future of product development. It's having products that speak to specific consumers, that specific consumers not just like, but say, you know, this is a product that matches my preferences. This is a product that matches uh, the types of products that I want to consume and the mode of consumption that I want to consume it in. And so different companies are at different states of understanding that. And so 
you know, the, the, the pressure is different. I don't, I'm skeptical that there will be another billion dollar product uh, anytime soon, a single product that does more than a billion revenue in a year. But there are many portfolios that will do that. And there are many portfolios that'll do that across countries with different offerings in different countries under the same brand. Mm. And speaking of different countries, so, you know, your, your, your solution rests on this data set that you've been collecting for a long time. Um, you know, what happens when there's a hole in your data set? What happens if it's a category or a, or a demographic that you just haven't been able to test yet? Yeah. Well, two, two things happen. One, of, of course, you know, we won't make the, the prediction without having a, a baseline data set that, that we've run our tests on, that we've made sure it has predictive power and, and, and verifiable accuracy. Um, but the second thing is that as a company, our goal is to totally abstract away any concept of data collection uh, from brand owners and from CPGs. We never want one of our customers to have to think, well, do they have enough data? Is it a large enough sample size? When was the data collected, right? And so our goal is to do that, all of that in the background for them, right? So that they never have to think about that again. So we have a, we have a team, we have a forward deployed tactical global panel team that has a rapid grab and go methodology that can drop into nearly any country in the world, um, grab relevant on-market products, stand up a panel, and in under a week, have that demographic profile and have that market survey, right? That's a that's that's a somewhere between six and ten thousand observations that we can generate uh, in a five or six day period uh, in a country. And so, when we get a request, a, a real request, obviously a legitimate request, someone says, "I want to do X product in Y country." Um, if we don't have that data available, right, we will make it available usually even before. Uh, that 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 company's ready to kick off. Um, that's not the kind of thing that that we want customers to have to think about. Our goal is to abstract that all away. So, when when you make a prediction, like you said, uh, hey, this new product you're about to launch, it's going to do well in Germany, I think, as you said, but not in Italy. Um, do you actually go back and test against actual live consumer preferences to see if your predictions were accurate? So we go back and reprofile entire markets every three to five years. Um, so depending on the rate of change in a country, we will go back and we'll update those models. So, you know, France is a long running, stable, uh, intense culinary tradition that might be closer to, uh, to five years. When we think about China, where we have one of our standing panels, China is evolving so rapidly that we that we have to collect data there literally every day. It's one of, it's one of our standing panels, right? And so, depending on how rapidly a country is developing and how rapidly it's changing, depends on how frequently we go back and update these models. And of course, we retest both um, similar products that we had uh, from from the prior survey and new products that have launched, uh, and the same products uh, that that we used as references. When it comes to uh, Validation when it comes to work that we do with a company, uh, our results are heavily tested. Every single major multinational CPG that uses us uh, runs us through a series of validations before they they stop running CLTs and before they stop running traditional consumer tests. So we have multiple double-blind validation studies that are done. Um, one of the 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 most public one is the one that we ran with Ajinomoto uh, that was validated by Ipsos. 
um, that was for predictions on, on products from Japan being retargeted and redeveloped for China. Um, but we do a number of different uh, validation studies, both internal to co companies and, and on our own. Um, so, you know, we see on a seven point hedonic scale, we see less than 1% systemic error uh, per, per uh, preference score, which is less than a seven point error across the scale. So that's not exactly, you can't talk about accuracy quite that simply, but it's approximately 93% accurate, which is far more accurate than any CLT has ever been. Mm. And so are there certain, you know, based on all the testing you do, this massive database, the, the, all the different experiences with different CBG companies, are there certain categories where you know that AI is going to be able to predict consumer preferences better than other categories? Our focus is on products and categories that are ready to eat and ready to drink. So um, as we get into more less homogenous products, as we get into things like hamburgers, uh, or prepared culinary foods, um, there's a combinatoric explosion where people like options and they like customization. So if you order a hamburger and you say, I want uh, uh, mustard, but no ketchup and uh, onions, but no pickles, right? It's a very different experience. So while we do work on alternative proteins and while we do work on hamburger patties uh, and alternative hamburger patties, right? Working on the entire burger is, is much more complicated. So we would say that CPG, RTD, um, and ready to, uh, ready to drink and ready to eat are the areas where it's having the, the fastest impact or the largest impact because those are the most controlled. And then as you go into less and less controlled categories, um, you know, there's, there's always the chance that your consumer doesn't follow uh, directions. There's always the chance that you, know, you work on an instant noodle and the person uses tepid water uh, and... Uh, you know, doesn't stir it and doesn't wait long enough. So um, certainly I think that the, the ready to drink and ready to eat are the fastest evolving and beverage is always faster than, than solid foods. Hmm. What, um, what other sorts of, uh, since your company is so technology focused, uh, Jason, what other sort of technologies are, are you on the lookout for as, uh, as the whole industry evolves forward? One large, it's, it's a, more of a, a concept, I guess, than a technology, but there's been this idea of personalized products that's floated around in the industry for a long time. And I always tell the story, I went down to Atlanta and I went to the, to the world of Coke. And the, the, the idea behind this is right now, what, when companies talk about personalization, really what they're talking about is customization. You know, to go back to that burger example, customization is where you have to say, I don't want onions on my burger, right? But that's not personalization. Personalization is the company knowing what you like and dislike without you needing to make any active decisions, potentially knowing what you like and dislike uh, more than you're aware of yourself, either because you haven't tried the product or because you're not uh, a, a flavor expert. And so, you know, that, to, get, to get back to that story, I went down to the world of Coke uh, and right at the end, right, they have all of those sodas from all over the world that you could try. And they had a Coke freestyle uh, machine. Uh, and that's where you can customize your own soda. And so if you just stand and watch people for a little while, they'll say, oh, well, I like Coke. I like vanilla Coke. So I'm going to do Coke with extra vanilla, right? And then they take a sip of it and they make a face and they, Ugh, 
right? And it's because they they put too much vanilla in it. They're not an expert product formulator. They don't you know they 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 don't know how to to, to balance the amount of vanilla flavor with the rest of the soda. And so that's an example of technology allowing customization. But that technology needs a brain, right? Someone needs to build a brain that says this is the optimal amount of vanilla for 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 you know. Uh, James, and this is the optimal amount of vanilla for Nick. So, uh, I think one of the things that I'm that I'm hoping for is that these uh, these machines that are going to allow products to be formulated and personalized at the point of sale or the point of consumption uh, start to become smart. And and if we could be part of that, that that would be a really interesting way of using this technology right down down to the personal level. And so that's something that I'm. I'm excited about. Mm. I'm here with uh, Jason Cohen, founder and CEO of Gastrograph AI. Uh, Jason, any other looking out on your horizon, uh, your crystal ball, any other uh, trends or tastes or flavors or experiences that you think are going to emerge in the coming years? I'll, I'll leave you with, uh, with two, maybe. I think one uh, we're going to see quite a bit more international products in the United States. Um, it used to be that the United States was uh, generally uh, a place of innovation ourselves, and we exported our products to the world. I think that we're going to see that trend reverse. I think we're going to see a lot of products made in the international market coming into the United States and gaining a foothold, and maybe in some scenarios, even a dominant position. And I think the, the second one is that you know we've been in an emergent to stable preference transition originally from uh, for increased levels of bitterness uh, from the 90s into the 2000s uh, and for sourness from the 2010s until today. Um, those have stabilized. We're now starting to see an emergent to stable preference transition for earthy flavors. And I think that there's going to be a lot of excitement and a lot of development in earthy flavors uh, in, in the very near future. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I have a personal bias against uh, too many hoppy beers, and it seems like every 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 craft brewery has just decided to launch five more hoppy beers. So, I hope you're right about uh, about maybe earthiness or other new tastes. Um, so, Jason, before we go into wrap up, uh, any other any other words of advice you'd like to share with our listeners or uh, additional information you'd like to share with your peers out there in industry? Well, I would say for, for anyone who's considering developing a new product, whether you're uh, a startup, uh, an emerging brand, or even if you're, if you're in one of the multinationals, you know, the trend that we've seen is that companies are saying that doing run, running uh, consumer tests, testing the, the flavor of the product, uh, making sure that we get the, the product experience right. It's, it's too long, it's too expensive, and it's not predictive. And instead of saying there's something wrong with the methodology, they say, we're not going to run the tests, right? If the tests aren't predictive, then we're not going to run the tests. And that's saying, you know, that's throwing up your hands and saying, well, we'll launch it and we'll see what happens. And we, we see a shocking number of companies do that. And so my advice is that when faced with uh, information that is not helpful. The, the goal shouldn't be to ignore the information or to, to, reduce, um, to, to, to reduce the amount of information you collect. It should be to change the methodology and to change the systems in which you gain that information from. So I think that there's a real role 
for technology in the food and beverage industry. I think that there is a growing uh, gap between what uh, companies are doing um, and what is possible to do. And I think a lot of that gap comes from uh, you know, increased pressure, reduced budgets, a more competitive market. And the answer to that is is to to make investments in better technologies and better methodologies um, to gain a competitive advantage. That's my that's that's my biggest piece of advice. Sounds like good advice, and I bet you a lot of our listeners out there are frustrated with uh, with failures they've seen in the past. So don't give up. Uh, try applying some new technology and a different approach. So I want to thank our guest today, Jason Cohen, who is founder and CEO of Gastrograph AI. Check it out. Really neat company. Jason, thanks so much for being on C2C. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Just type the letters C-T-O-C, no spaces, to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, and Google Play.